so Jenny, what are you doing? Her birthday is tomorrow. What are you doing for your birthday? I'm going to Shady Maples in the morning. Anything else planned? Oh, I have no idea. I might go to Hawk Mountain though. Probably. Mm -hmm. How far? Well, is happy that? early birthday. What's Shady Thank Maples? you. To the restaurant? Yes, it's yeah. like a it's like a big restaurant. It's like a whole buffet. And okay. I love the breakfast. I go every year. Okay. Awesome. I love it because <laughs> I do it every year because I like it because I'm able to invite people that are close to me yeah. and just spend that time with me enjoying good breakfast and conversation. Isn't it awesome? Breakfast is like the best meal. Of the and they give us yes, a meal on your right? birthday. Oh, oh my goodness, we could be late. We could be totally late. Stay with a cup of coffee. It's like the best meal. <laughs> yeah, I love Shade Maple. Um, they uh, when it's your birthday, if you go there, you actually get a free meal. And um, they have amazing graphics as well as dinner. It just depends on what they have for dinner. Sometimes, eh, but yeah. dinner sometimes, yeah. eh. Yeah. <laughs> breakfast is always good, right? No, right, breakfast right. is always that's why I always go. And I and everybody's like, what time are we going to be there? We got to be there at 8 o'clock in the morning. 8 o'clock. <laughs> sounds fun. So It is. All right. We're just going to give it a few moments for everyone to join. How was your weekend, Faye? Did you have a busy weekend? Um, it was an average weekend. Not too much to do. Just trying to get some work out. <laughs> okay. And I'm always working, so it's seven days a week, so it doesn't. Yeah. Oh, wow. That never yeah. stops, right? Never stops. Especially when you're working remotely, it's always something to, a fire to put out, so. Yeah. How's the Zoom meetings going for you? <laughs> Are you uh, we, do Microsoft, we do Microsoft Teams, so okay. we do a week meetings, and then quarterly we have a company-wide company meeting just to give us updates on our financials and the health of the company, et cetera. But it, all of that is wonderful. And I actually really decided that I love working remotely again. That's awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> that is. All right. So just waiting for a couple more people to join. I work in the hospital. So I, and Shanera works from home. <laughs> she so. hates me for that. <laughs> I'll be like, sometimes I'll be like, you're so lucky. <laughs> oh, God, you're in the hospital. So your work just like doubled. Yeah, it does. Maybe yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for taking care of us. <laughs> All of this. Uh, you're welcome. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, I think we'll do the raffle at the end, Jenny. That's fine. okay. Yeah, we'll just do the raffle at the end. Uh, thank you, viewers, for tuning in to Uncommon Women. I'm Shanira, and I'm Jenny Lee. And before we actually get into today's topic, we do have a beautiful Faye Ellis that's going to share her amazing testimony. Uh, but before we get into that, I just want to let everyone know uh, who we are and what we actually do. Uh, so we're an empowerment podcast. We um, focus on two things. We uplift and edify women. Uh, we give women a platform to actually share their story in regards to what they went through in life and where they are now in life. And then we also have people that actually uh, come on and educate us in regards to certain topics. Uh, so today we have Faye Ellis. She's actually going to share her testimony in regards to what she's went through and where she's at now in life. Um, to let you know a little bit about Faye, uh, she's a project man manager who has a Six Sigma green belt. 
She's also owner of Her Candy LLC, uh, which is a hair company. <laughs> and uh, she newly self-published author and social improvement advocate. Uh, the purpose of her writing and releasing such a personal and posing memoir was to bring awareness and implement change into how we inform, empower, and protect our children in regards to sexual abuse and crimes. Her life as a lemon speaks to the sour parts of all of us. Um, we have all felt, you know, powerless at one point or another because of bad decisions, addictions, environments, and or circumstances. Uh, so Faye's life delivers the bad decision, um, Faye's life delivers the message to prove that just like a lemon, we have always had everything we need to prevail. The mere shift of perspective has allowed her as an ex-felon to work with the various counties where she once was as an inmate to assist fulfilling her necessary missions. Uh, so thank you again, uh, Faye, for actually coming out um, and sharing your story. For anyone that has any questions, uh, we ask that you just drop your questions in the comment and then we'll be sure to get them answered at the end. Uh, so before she actually goes into her story, uh, Faye, is there anything that you wanted to tell us before we actually get started about yourself? <laughs> I think you did a wonderful, wonderful job, um, Shanara. Thank you so much and Jenny for um, having me. Um, I really appreciate you all having a platform like this so we can come together, discuss, and also put, you know, boots, boots to ground and make some real change in this world. I mean, that's the point. And um, I'm so happy to be on this journey with you guys today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we, before we actually get into your story, um, tell us a little bit about, you know, your life. How was it actually growing up and things like that? Oh, well, I'm actually the oldest of three children. I have two younger brothers. And um, I'm originally, I hail from St. Louis, Missouri. Go Cards. <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, I mean, life was exquisite. My mom and dad both were in the house. Okay. Uh, tons of cousins. And I'm very close to my cousins and families, both on my dad and mom's side. So, you know, we took road trips. We went bowling. We had Sunday um, Saturday breakfast at Shoney's. You know, we... Mm -hmm. Went out to eat every now and then. My mom cooked all the time, all three, you know, three breakfasts, okay. meals, and um, <laughs> it was everything yeah. that y'all needed. You yeah. know, and um, God was the um, foundation of our lives. Yeah. So my dad empowered us with um, books and messages and images and Barakon rally. So we also are very prideful in who we are as Black people. So I think I had a well balanced and happy childhood. Okay, that's awesome. And you said you're the oldest <laughs> of three? You're the oldest of three? Yes. Okay. Um, do you have a brother and sister? Or is it I just... have two brothers. Two oh, okay. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. oh, all right. So they, they probably was driving you crazy when you were younger. <laughs> oh, my God. They were 13 months apart, so everybody thought they were twins. So they were, I mean, compared to what you think a bad kid is now, they were angels, but <laughs> were just hell on earth, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, because they're, you know, they're so close in age. Right, 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 yeah. right. So yes, I thought they were twins. That's awesome. So. Yeah. Similar in size and everything. So my mom dressed them alike. I'm like, oh, this is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> you she's know, a, growing up, you, you played That's My Car and all that stuff. Uh -huh. and had to come break it up because, no, no, okay, now you get the next car because we're about to fight. And <laughs> it was great, though. Well, you being the only girl, I'm sure you were spoiled then. I, you know, 
say maybe I was. I didn't think I was at the time. I thought they got everything. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. you get two boys, and they, they were like the squeaky wheel, so they got <laughs> You know, so, but I guess I really was. I never had to share a room and all. Mm-hmm. See? Uh-huh. <laughs> See? There you go. <laughs> now let's look at it. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> canopy bed I wanted. So, yeah, I guess so. Definitely. That's awesome. All right. So, let's go ahead and actually go into your story before we go into the book itself and in regards mm-hmm. to. Um, the details of what you have in the book. Tell us a little bit about your story and how this all began. Oh, well, well, I'll give you guys the short version because you got to go out and get the book. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, it's, it's funny that you started out asking me about my childhood and my family because it's amazing how you can get your blessing and your curse all in the same package, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, as, vivid as I painted the picture, how happy my childhood was, which it, it was. I can't take anything from it. There was also someone lurking in that in that circle of family that offered me my first taste of brokenness and um, being sexually violated on um, the eve of my seventh birthday kind of set in event a chain of just bad decisions, um, self-doubt, um, mistrust and miss opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so the book, My Life as a Lemon, takes the reader on a journey um, coming full circle that I never, nothing was ever taken from me, you know, because no one can really take what is already instilled in you, but they mm-hmm. can highlight some things that don't serve you. Mm-hmm. So what incident had what that incident did for me is it highlighted insecurities it highlighted mistrust and highlighted anger and um but that was there but that made it bubble up and so it stayed at the surface for so many years you know over 40 years to be exact (laughs) um for the reader to just watch how someone could self-destruct you know, even being given, being born with everything that you need to succeed, you still can self-implode because of one incident. And my purpose of writing a book was to let viewers know and readers know that it's important to start addressing stuff as soon as it happens. Right. Had I had resources, had my family known to have the type of conversations that empower people like myself, that no matter what happens, no matter what anyone tells you, we got your back. You know what I'm saying? But not in a threatening manner, because I think a lot of times victims don't say anything because they, the person who violates them, they also love and care for, and they don't want that person to be hurt. Mm-hmm. So we have, to, we have to strike a balance between healthy repercussions, you know, and making people create a, a, a safe space for, for survivors and also a space where people who are perpetrators can get the help that they need as well too. If that had been in place, maybe it wouldn't have took me 40 years to finally say, hey, <laughs> this, is, this, is just, this is not a way to live. Um, and the book just kind of takes you through that. And when you, you see my aha moments and um, the reader can identify that in themselves and not have to wait so long and fail so many times along the way and can get the message early on. So that's a little bit of my background. I won't go into too many details. I'm sure I'll give a little more sneak peeks throughout this conversation, but yeah. that's kind of in a nutshell and where it all started. 
Okay. So seventh birthday. Wow. Um, how, what emotions were you going through when this, this occurred on your birthday? And was it something that you were able to easily talk to your parents about? Or what were you going through as a child? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I never really sat to reflect on, even at this age, what I felt then. But if I had to, I think there's really confusion and shame, mm -hmm. you know. Um, like I said, it's only, it's only shame because the conversations have never happened. Okay. You know, you're having more. I mean, just think of the conversations we have on social media now and things that used to make people uncomfortable. No, it's no time out for being uncomfortable. That's how you grow, right? Right. So, I guess the shame and conf very ashamed and confused. That's why the next day I tried to, I took my grandma's shotgun and tried to shoot a man. You know, how do you deal with those emotions? So I guess anger was a part of it as well too. Yeah. Um, and my parents, we never had that conversation. My parents found out, my mom found out, my dad has since passed away um, when the book was released in February. Mm. So one years later. Okay. Wow. So can you tell us a little bit about the next day, how you grabbed a shotgun? Like, again, what were you thinking or what was, what was the surroundings or how did that all come about um, in regards to the shotgun? Well, um, I was in Papa Bluff, Missouri. So it's a very country town in Missouri um, where I was visiting my grandmother I go every summer. And I have a lot of cousins there. And so this particular person was a cousin. Um, and we were going to the store because my party was later on that evening. And um, I was going to get in the front seat. And then this particular cousin that had done this the day before said he was coming along. So I just, okay. I just remember my whole spirit's just like. Your energy is like, wow. Um, <laughs> so I just got, a, I just got in the, um, in the back of the truck, you know, the pickup truck. It's fun to ride in the back anyway. But, and of course the shotgun was back there. So we went to the grocery store. I decided to stay in the car. Because why I want to be with you know him, see when yeah. my grandmother and um, hot sun sitting in the back of the pickup truck and my thoughts are just going every which way, and I just see this this young guy no shirt on chilling in the back of a pickup truck across the parking lot. <laughs> and some say shoot him. I don't know what. Some just say shoot, yeah. and so I just I hesitated and I crawled over picked the gun up, pointed at him. And then as something else, even quieter said, look to the right, just look to the right. So I looked to the right and I could just see my grandmother like hands are wailing and screaming and she's in the store, but you know, it's a big window. So I run into the car and I just kind of like set it down, you know, and we never spoke about it. She didn't tell my mom, she didn't tell my dad. I didn't get a whooping. I had my party. And it never came up again. So what that taught me was that I could get away with unthinkable acts. And what it also taught me is that he could, other people could get away with unthinkable acts. Mm, yeah. Wow. Well, I'm glad that your grandma was that angel that, you know, directed you a different way. Um, definitely, definitely. So let's skip forward. Um, as an adult, uh, what happened in your life that triggered 
um, the circumstance of you having to go to prison, to go to jail? Oh, well, I became very acquainted with a lot of friends like Jack and Daniel, um, Hennessy and Cole. So a lot of <laughs> those influences, a lot of it was for DUI. Mm -hmm. So wow. I began to drink heavily. My first drink was at nine. Wow. wow. So. Wow, yeah. wow, wow. Um, um, how was your life actually bouncing back in regards to getting the DUI and like what what was the thoughts that was processing in your hand, head at the time of you know being in jail and then spending there for three weeks like by yourself you know? Well, I did other acts because I was just a person that acted out. Okay. I did what the hell I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, alcohol was always was not far away. Mm -hmm. So I'm a very controlling. I have a con controlling, you know, very organized personality. So my life was functioning whether I was in or out because I just had it. It was weird, you know. I was doing things that were not morally right and some things illegal, but I also went to work every day, took care of my kids, paid my, you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. did all this mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. And um, so if I was gone for a couple of days or overnight, I never missed a beat. But at one point I was gone for six months and I literally had just purchased a home. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have children. I had a car. No. So I had all the responsibility that someone who was not out committing crimes had. And I had to try to figure out how to whenever I was going to be released to get my keep my life back on track. Mm -hmm. And um, I, going in and out was. I guess I went in and out because I was able to keep it secret from the world. The only people who really knew were the people in my circle, my mom, my dad, my right. friend, et cetera, et cetera. And you don't really have that much embarrassment with people who you know have, made, have failed and made mistakes themselves too. One particular situation um, that changed and my entire staff find, found out about it. I was gone for 45 days and... I had put things in place where I cousin totally unraveled all of that, contacted my boss, said I was in a near-death um, crash, and my entire staff started researching it. Oh, wow. Wow. The um, state troopers about accidents trying to find Because my dramatic and tell my boss I was almost dead, and that turned my life upside down, and that was the first time um getting in trouble getting locked up where i had to really face the music when i got out because these were people who i was in a relationship with for five or six years time i was in real estate and i couldn't speak for myself for 45 days all i had was this crazy lie that was out there and so to me that kind of ruined relationships i left that office i had to just totally rebuild why still trying to stay ahead and pay your bills and do all of that and do community service and get the kids back in school. So that was extremely tough emotionally. It was embarrassing financially. And, you know, so yeah, it's tough. Free, not free. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you feel like was your breaking point when you knew like, uh, this ain't for me, life got to change, you know, my job knows what's going on and, you know, everything was kind of like, you know, just going downhill. What was your breaking point in regards to you was like, I want to, I want to change. I want to make a difference for the community and, you know, people that may have experienced what I've been through. Well, 
that type of thought process didn't start until I completed the book. But the actual aha moment for me, although it was a relationship with my family member that validated me, that made me, that put me in pieces. It was another relationship 31 years later that when that relationship ended, it made me realize that even though I had all the ingredients, ingredients to live a successful life and be, you know, a productive citizen and a wonderful mom and wife, I didn't know the doses. You know, I needed a, a professional chef or a therapist. Mm-hmm. I needed somebody to say, hey, you need a dash of, you know, empathy. You need a, you know, a cup of who am I showing up as in my relationship. So you need a tablespoon of self-awareness you know what i'm saying i need to say to kind of you this is you have everything let me show you how to when to incorporate it and how to incorporate it in because i was i was so low after that relationship and it just forced me i was like i'm getting professional help and i went and got that i didn't think it was working wow did because it forced you to see who you were being Unfortunately, your families and your family and friends sometimes will sit back and watch a train wreck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm more enablers than they are. You know, like you know, they, when they just say, "This is the standards to be in my life." You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. As opposed to that, they do things to make the person who's been a violator, who's been foul, comfortable, and it's yep. the way of enabling you. And it can go on for years and years. And it's like, when were you gonna say something when you were at my funeral? Where's the boundaries? Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, right. There's no, nothing wrong with tough love. Just say what it is. <laughs> Those uncomfortable conversations. <laughs> yeah. We we sometimes we need that tough love though. Mm-hmm. You need we to definitely need those conversations. Definitely mm-hmm. those conversations to um, move from it in a positive perspective. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's good. So your situation that happened when you were seven, was that the only tragic event that you've actually had in your life um, prior to getting help and healing and things like that? Um, Well, you know, tragedy happens in different doses, you know, and it's all how you, you know, interpret it. And once a traumatic experience has happened once, everything after that is traumatic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's true. Mm -hmm. You know, you may say, oh, I'm not a victim because you don't let other people you feel victimize you. But if you turn around internally and do things that damage yourself, you are victimizing your own self all over again. Right. So little tragedies yep. along the way. Um, I just went, I, I, I went into real estate, as I said before, mm-hmm. that was like my boyfriend. I love real estate, <laughs> but I had a business partner. Um, at one point when we were buying houses. Like I said, I did what I was supposed to do. I was a productive citizen, but I also was a villain as well. So I was, I played more roles in a book than <laughs> just one. And um, the night before his wedding, he um, violated me as well. And um, the same thing happened for us myself destructive pattern like I wanted to shoot the guy which would have eventually got me in more trouble mm-hmm. when I had to sit in jail for a long time because I really I got a couple of DUIs right after that um, did you ever blame yourself through the situation occurring again did you ever feel at a point where you blamed yourself like why does this keep happening to me 
or well, I, I can't say I was blaming myself, but I was really frustrated. Like I was pissed because me and this person was like, well, I felt brother and sister. That's gross to say, yeah. but I very yeah. this person. So I was like, I did question like, okay, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. type of signals am I sending off that makes somebody like this person think it's okay? Yeah. Right. You know, but it wasn't me. It's just, it's the statistics. I mean, Rain says seven, every 73 seconds, someone in the United States is sexually abused. Yeah. It's crime that happens. So it was, you know, unfortunately, if there's somebody being abused, there's someone doing the abusing. And I'm mm-hmm. sure it was yeah. the first time. And it just happened that, you know, it happened again. Right. So, speaking out in advance, speaking out when it first happened, like I said, I'm sure that wasn't his first time, but if whoever he did it to the first time had spoke out, maybe that wouldn't happen to me. If I would have spoke out when I was seven, I found out later it happened to somebody else, another family member by that same person, maybe it would have prevented it from happening there. Wow. wow. Yeah. Jenny, did you have any questions? Um, okay, when, when your cousin abused you, how did you, how did that really make you feel towards him? Like, you're like, wow, he's my family member. You know, this is the person that's supposed to love me, protect me, watch over me. You know, you guys are family. Mm-hmm. So how did that make you feel towards him? Well, he's my cousin. I've seen still mm-hmm. him as a kid. So I didn't hold him in any high standards because he's a kid. Mm-hmm. I guess it's, uh, I had a father in my life. So I knew who was, or who was opposed to. Mm-hmm. my saving grace my parents my grandparents but I didn't blame them because how can they save you for something they don't know that's happening right mm-hmm. and um so I never had any hate or ill will against him but I, I in turn class and I turned it on myself okay because what do you do when you you know this is your family this is somebody you yeah yeah you yeah. Yep. ever mm-hmm. But what they did made me kind of feel different about everything so you don't know yeah. how to analyze that as a seven-year-old so. Yeah. Wow. So you released the book um, this year, right? Was it February yes. that you said? Which is awesome. Yes. Congratulations on that. Prior you. to you actually releasing the book, um, you said you have children as well. Yes. Did you sit down and speak to them in regards to about the book or what you went through in your life um, in regards to their family member? Or is it something that you guys discussed prior to you actually releasing the book? Well, I didn't go into details prior to me releasing the books, but me and my daughters are very close. So like the drinking and the, mm-hmm. you know, jail time, I was very honest with them about why, why things were happening and how, you know, I thought I was being as honest as possible, but I guess I really wasn't because I didn't go back to really what the root cause was, you know, mm-hmm. hey, alcohol will lead to jail. Yes, it could, but let me get the whole, you know, let's me right. get the whole it's context. Deep, deeper than the going. alcohol, right. Yeah. Right, 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 you know, and not to place blame because we all still are cognitive and we can make our own decisions. It's yep. that, right. that was the decision I was just comfortable with making because to me, I always bounce back. So now had I lost an arm or killed someone, that had been different, but I felt it was, it was horrible, but I was functioning. Mm-hmm. It didn't and lose enough to want to stop if that makes sense yeah yeah you know what i'm saying and then just one day you wake up and say oh i am losing a lot i'm losing hella opportunities hella mm-hmm. income no. self-esteem and i may be losing friends that i don't know people who are supposed to be in my life for good but they can't be around me because i got all this crap going on so i need to 
reevaluate. Right. I can't yeah. preach and work, preach to my kids one thing. And I'm over here going to school at night, working full time, but then I'm doing something to erase all the good that I'm doing. I, that's yep. going to have to change. Awesome. I'm glad that you're, you know, close to your daughters and that you guys are able to actually communicate and talk about um, your life and then also give them the opportunity to be open with you as well. Cause yeah. I'm sure that, that, that has to be hard. And I'm sure that they're proud of you with you actually releasing the book as well. Yeah, they were pretty, they were pretty stoked. They both, <laughs> they both had lots of questions and it was like, Oh, now I get, it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they say a pitch is worth a thousand words, but so is a thousand words. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, what are some things that you're actually proud of from your testimony? I mean, even though it was tragic situations and things that uh, you've been through in your life that's molded you who you are now, what are, what are you proud of about your testimony? You know, through it all, I just remember saying, I mean, years ago, I will always say, read the book, just read the book. Cause I just, I knew I was going to have to put pen to paper at some point and just tell my story. But the reason behind it is because I had this voice, most would say it was God, their higher being saying, you're here for a purpose, dude. I'm not, you're not, this is not going to take you out. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So it also had me the confidence to just walk through craziness where other people would have just sat because something just kept saying, girl, you got, you got more than this. This is not your, this is not the end of your story. And, um, thing I'm most proud of is, of course, putting a book out there and actually having a purpose behind the book is to help, um, like I said, mitigate a lot of sexual crimes and abuse and to eventually eradicate it. Now, I was told one time that um, you should, you're supposed to be involved with a purpose that you would never see come to fruition in your lifetime. That, mm -hmm. that, no, mm -hmm. that is a big purpose. And I'm pretty sure I'm, I won't see this come to fruition in my lifetime, but I will definitely sure I will be a part of the change. Um, secondly, my kids, you know, um, they're healthy, they're well, they're great people, they're self-sufficient, and I couldn't be prouder. That's awesome. Uh, that's amazing. That's yeah. Jenny, did you have any questions? Um, how, uh, how has your life been now up to this point? Um, I would say a screenshot of today, life is what it was prior to the violation of seven. Life is exquisite. Okay. Um, I mean, most people could give a testimony, but they have, they only have memories. I was blessed enough to give a testimony. I still have my mom, my kids, my health, my strength, yeah. my mental stability. I came out on the other side better than I went in. So Great. life is yes. <laughs> That's awesome. So Thank tell us you. a little bit about your book um, in regards to, you know, with you launching it this year and then your mm -hmm. business, if you want to go into the, your LLC um, and just overall, what have you been doing um, in regards to for the community? Okay. Um, so my purpose, and I'm going to pull it up here just so I can get sure. it correctly. My whole premise and goal is to create, when it's, this is strictly in reference to um, sexual abuse and crimes, is to create a baseline for evaluating the current programs that we have. 
increase awareness and that's what we're doing here today is having this conversation the book um it's increasing awareness and also my facebook live show fm fridays which premieres on um, the 28th at okay. 1 want to motivate law enforcement and the legal system to have better corrective actions. Um, far too often, um, the victim or the survivor is not believed or teased or mocked for sharing their story. And we have to create a culture that does not do that especially yes. when someone is being violated every 73 seconds. There's no one who, who's not at risk. So, I mean, why don't we have these protocols in place? A safe space. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> yes. You know, and as well as people who may be victims who are experiencing feelings because maybe they were victimized before and now they could possibly be perpetrators. And it, we just have to have the conversations and create uh, programs to just, it's a huge problem in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. It's a huge problem. Mm -hmm. Yes. Racial injustice, absolutely. But a lot of stuff stemmed because people were abused and taken advantage of at a very young age, and it come out in all those different things. Mm -hmm. um, so we need to set priorities. And then finally, I want to target public education programs. I would like to see us conversations Definitely. about sexual empowerment, um, empowerment as young as kindergarten. Because if you wait to middle school, most of the time it's too late. Kids have already been violated. Mm -hmm. um, I made a comment on my first um, podcast mm -hmm. that I was involved in that when I was coming up in school, uh, we had this thing called stop, drop, and roll. I don't know what it was about the United States and fires. Mm -hmm. They had Smokey the Bear to prevent the stuff <laughs> And yeah. Everybody stop, drop, and roll. Right. Okay, so, <laughs> okay, so I want to ask is three people on on this call. Have any one of you been involved in a fire? I have. You have you stopped drop and roll? No, but <laughs> I, I think and I think sometimes when we stop drop and roll, we don't. We're just in shock. We don't know if we have to do it or not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So let me ask you this. Um, they say, it, years ago it was one in three women had been violated, whereas three of us on here, and clearly the statistic is proven because I'm one of the three. I've been violated as a child. And he's been violated as well. So now the statistic is higher. What was the protocol for being violated? To, to be honest, I would It's not one in place. No. <laughs> yeah, then... The one they told you about being in the fire, you didn't even use. So we waste so much money and make people remember so many things that's not going to be useful for them. Yeah. So I'd like to see our attention geared towards something that affects more people, someone every 73 seconds. The perpetrator is affected just like the victim because typically the perpetrator was a victim. That's right. Wow. Yep. So is this crazy that where our, our, our dollars and our conversations go and what we teach our kids, but you could be the smartest person. You can get all A's and be around here molesting people when you get 21 because you've held something in and you're angry and you want to get mm -hmm. back. How are we measuring happiness? How are we measuring health in this country? That's you know? So, so it's, 
is my goal. So, so your goal <laughs> is actually, a lot in life. I love it though. So your goal is actually to get into schools and making it more of an awareness or even a class that to make it smoother for children to actually speak upon it. I want it to be just as memorable as stop, drop, and roll. Wow. I love that. I love that whole I love that whole concept and what you're trying to do. Because that is important where children need to have a voice. Even as a you being a seven year old and saying, hey, this is what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And for people to believe you. You know, because sometimes they I think don't that's what it. the issue is. Like, how do you get someone to believe? Because I've seen people of a higher authority do it. And it's like, I don't want to put any too much detail on it. But, you know, I've, I've seen people get molested by people that's supposed to be like a leader. How do you? Uh, how okay, do you, you, can say, you could talk about athlete A. Yeah. Right, right. You see people yeah. as though it's a leader, and it's like the family don't believe the child yeah. is the personality that they have, the persona that they have for the world. You mm-hmm. know, um, yeah. I think we need to start with that first, yeah. as far as to believing the child. Yeah, because I think that's like, like recently I was watching uh, this uh, father and mother where the the father was trying to give the daughter back to the mother. But mind you, the mother, she couldn't, they had a court order where the child could not be around the stepfather because mm-hmm. she was claiming that she was being molested. I think it was um, stand up for Sophia, I think it was. Okay. And the stepfather was literally, she said it like literally on video, how the grandmother asked her why she did not want to be around this man. She's like, Mr. Jake, uh, touches me and I don't like it and mommy watches mm-hmm. and she's like the grandmom is just like nothing she's like oh okay like you're basically you're, you're it's this is being shown on national television and you're just like brushing it off and it just makes it seem like the grandmother's not believing her and what she's hysterically yeah yeah the conversation opens up a Pandora box a lot of people are not comfortable with. I don't know if it's people don't believe kids or that the police don't believe the victim or that it's mm-hmm. just, it gets into, I don't know why people just would rather live in silence than to have the conversation. I have watched since I released the book, there have been so many shows and documentaries. I guess when she was, like, if you want to buy Lexus, all of a sudden you start seeing a bunch of Lexus. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I'm talking about sexual abuse and now everything in my feed is about sexual abuse. I've seen this, um, this show called Trial by Media. It's on Netflix. And this okay. particular episode was about Big Dan's bar that was, it's in um, Boston. And this young lady was assaulted, was raped by four men on a pool table in front of the rest of the bar. And when the fact that her trial was tried in the media, I mean, they ripped this young lady apart. So sad. How can you be raped in public on a pool table, but yet people are literally threatening you? That's so sad. Like, like oh, you're in her all kind like, of name. Like, like he's like she the wanted it. <laughs> wow. 
I literally, I couldn't sleep after that because I was like, and I start seeing more and more documentaries and shows where it's not just the men. The women do the same thing to other women. We don't even believe each other. That's right. And I believe it stems from the, the beginning of this country. The Constitution was written for white men. Women didn't even really have a voice. And that's kind of has, you know, marinated throughout society. When a woman said, it, you like, for instance, Survivor or Kelly, it takes six, six episodes. Yeah, the Me Too movement, all that, right. Something about yeah. somebody we already knew had done something 20 something years ago. So one man voice, but it takes 50, 60 women. It's just showing us where our value system lies and how this is allowed to continue to happen because mm -hmm. you is, the world is telling you that you as one woman, you're not enough. You're not enough. That's true. And if that happens to you at three, at seven, at 17, at 77, shut up. That's so true. Nope. You give me 18 more people saying the same thing, maybe we'll have a conversation. It's dusted under the rug with one person. That's right. That's so nope. true. That is so So that's true. why people are silent. Because mm -hmm. unless they come out with a whole parade, then they're victimized all over again. Yeah. And then have to keep speaking on it, you know, sharing yep. what happened, sharing what happened. And then it's yeah. like, and not, do you really believe me? Yeah. And, and, and I think it shouldn't take 20 times for you to say what happened to you. You should be able to say, say your story once. This is what happened to me. They mm -hmm. raped me. They abused me. I have a voice and I'm going to tell you what happened. Right. And when you and do when your you, job and do the investigation and stop, keep, don't keep asking me the same questions. 50 yeah, minutes. Right. To see mm -hmm. if they're going to switch your story. Right. <laughs> no, that's, that's true. So, we got a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. do. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you. Yeah, I am. I can't wait oh, to man. follow up with you to see, see what change, um, you have brought into the school system because I, I think that's amazing. That's that's amazing. Definitely amazing. Um, so we spoke a lot about your book. Uh, where can we locate your book or your website and um, how to purchase your book and things like that to get a little bit more details in regards to your story? All right. So um, you can purchase the ebook or the paperback. You see, I've got this cover up so you mm -hmm. can see when you go online. It's My Life as a Lemon. And if you go on Amazon, it's My Life, a Lim My Life as a Lemon by FMLS. Or you could be so kind as to subscribe and order your hard copy on my website at fmellis.com. That's F as in Faye, M as in Marie, ellis.com. So it's easy, couple of clicks, get the book right to you. Yeah. I love your support. Please subscribe because we send out bi-monthly um, newsletters that have a lot of information, a lot of resources in reference, in reference to sexual abuse, mental illness, addiction, and everything. And we just talk about a lot of relevant topics. And we also highlight different um, minority businesses as well, too. So come on, guys, support fmls.com. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love it. And we'll also um, add the details when we uh, post audio. We'll add, we'll add all the links so that it's easier for people to uh, click in. And I can edit this one as well um, to add it for you as well. Um, is there anything that you could express to women um, or give any advice that you would like um, in regards to your story and what you've been through just to help others um, or just anything at all that you would like to talk about? 
Yeah, the biggest thing for me um, is I continued the cycle of brokenness while I was in my story. The reason the book is out now is because I started, I stopped living my story and I started living my life. Mm -hmm. to check, check yourself and see, are you living inside of a story or are you actually thriving? You know, so if you find yourself kind of wandering, you are on the right track. Just trust yourself, trust the process and grow. Um, perfect. Um, I also have another question for you, and this is a question that we always ask all our guest speakers. What makes you uncommon? <laughs> what makes me uncommon is my resilience. I think when God was giving out things to people, I got back in that line more than once. I have been knocked down. I've tripped and failed, but I have never been out. And um, I'm not just back for myself. I'm back with purpose for others. So that makes me uncommon. That's I love that. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Faye, for actually coming out and sharing your amazing story. And Thank I you just appreciate me. your um, passion to be able to help others, um, especially people in schools, um, mm -hmm. or just to make a change in regards to something that does happen more frequent, frequently than a fire, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, not that fires doesn't happen. Doesn't right, no, don't happen. We're not saying that. We're just saying the percentage. <laughs> the percentage. <laughs> Right, right. Uh, of abuse versus um, a fire is something that should be educated in schools. So I mm -hmm. appreciate your um, your drive to want to make a difference in, in the community, um, as well as for like children growing up and just starting a whole new movement. Like that's amazing. Um, Jenny, did you want to add anything before we go into the raffle? No. Okay. So awesome. 